We come now to session two of Grace Principles for Parenting with an emphasis on your identity in parenting. As I made introduction in our first session together, we began to think about how grace is the foundation for parenting. And when we say grace is the foundation for parenting, we're not talking about parenting without boundaries or rules or without discipline. Rather, it's parenting our children the way that God the Father parents us. And we looked in the first session at how the idea of family is rooted in the creation narrative. And we started with some basic concepts that I want to review. There are no perfect parents. There are only parents in process. There are no perfect families. There are only families in process. Parenting is not a competition. It is a unique experience for all of us as parents. No two families are exactly alike. Parenting is filled with laughter and tears, victories and defeats, delights and disappointments, and blessings and discouragements. Our ultimate goal as parents is to raise our children in the Lord and then release them to Him so that they experience the lives for which God made them uniquely. The responsibility of the church is to come alongside of you and to encourage you in your God-given role. It's not our responsibility to supplant the role of the parents or to override that in any way, but it's to encourage you in your God-given role. We learn specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that the calling of a parent is to teach your children to know God. And as you teach your children to know God, part of the calling of a parent is to teach your children to walk with God, to live a life of faith, to apply the word to their lives. And in doing so, the calling of a parent is to warn your children of the consequences of forgetting God. You have the unique opportunity, the ability to influence and shape the spiritual narrative of your family. Whether you're currently in the role of a parent or a parent-to-be or a grandparent, you have an opportunity to be a spiritual influence and a spiritual voice within the context of your family structure. Now, we live in an age currently where people are confused about the issue of identity, and identity being our subject tonight and your identity as a parent. There's all kinds of confusion about what identity even is. We have biological men who think they're women and biological women who think they're men. And we have all sorts of confusion that is abounding and identity is of great importance. Tim Lott uh, wrote a piece in The Guardian entitled Becoming a Parent is the greatest identity change that we go through. And here's what he said in part. Identity is crucial with regards to how you perceive the world and how you are perceived. People who go from being non-parents to parents undergo a seismic identity shift. Not only have they seen their selves merged into another self in the creation of their children and hopefully into an enduring relationship, but they've also seen their sense of self revised by the appearance of offspring in the taking on of a new role or identity in that of a parent. 
So I want to work from this premise uh, in this particular session. As an individual and then as a married couple, if you're married, it's vital for you to understand who you are, what your identity is, if you're going to effectively shape your children into who God created them to be. Meaning that you cannot shape and mold and disciple someone else into their identity unless you are seeking from God to understand who you are. So I want to share several ideas along these lines that I think intersect well with session number one. And then I want to offer some points of application as we come toward the end of the session. The first is you are created in the image of God. This connects back to the creation narrative that we talked about and how parenting is connected to the creation narrative. And I want to read from Genesis 1 and verse 26 and 27 as we get going in this particular point. The scripture says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created them, created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This is of utmost importance because humanity is unique among all of God's creation, having both a material body and an immaterial soul or spirit. Image or likeness indicates that we were made to resemble God. Now, God the Father is spirit. That's why the Bible says that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And in that, God the Father exists without a body. The image of God, or imago Dei in the Latin, refers to our immaterial body, our immaterial part, I should say, first and foremost. This is what sets us apart from the animal world and enables us to commune with our Creator. So when we think about the image of God, it refers to a likeness mentally, morally, and socially as it connects with our relationship with God. Now, there's been a lot of talk lately about the value of uh, image and the concept of image. Uh, There's been a lot in the news the past few months about the college athletes and what's called the NIL. The NIL stands for name, image, and likeness. And basically what it means is that NCAA athletes now have the opportunity to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And the fact that we have been created in the image of God is far more valuable than any societal name, image, and likeness that could potentially earn us some type of financial gain. There are pluses and blessings to this, but there are also challenges to it in our fallen condition. Redemption is what brings us back to where we need to be in God. Now, one of the blessings of this is that we're able to reason and to choose, and that in and of itself is a reflection of the intellect and the freedom that we have in God. So people have the power to think and analyze and reflect even upon abstract matters, things that are complex. Uh, We cannot be defined only by material attributes. Uh, We have an instinctive need to 
be something and to do something. Now you can see where this is a plus and a challenge because our children, with their sin nature, applying that freedom and that ability to think for themselves, can use that in a rebellious kind of a way. We all test those boundaries and we see that early on in our children. But even so, in understanding that about ourselves and about them, that can help us understand how we can relate to God and how they can relate to God. It also speaks to the idea that we are moral creatures. Um, We are able to, and we do make moral judgments. So people have a censoring conscience, conscience, which we may defy. We are choice makers. We can obey or we can disobey if we choose to do that. So think about it this way. A human is the only creature who can, from their will, say no to God. Just make a decision to do that. Humans are autonomous creatures at their core. And God endowed us with this freedom to be able to govern our own lives. But what we do with it and whether or not we are redeemed in it is what determines the direction that we take it in and how we use it. It also means that we're able to fellowship, which reflects God's triune nature and his love. I think about Eden and the primary relationship in Eden uh, was uh, the relationship with God. We think about the doctrine of the Trinity. It recognizes that God is one. God exists uh, in three persons, co-equal and co-eternal, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there is a perfection and a completeness within the relationship of the Godhead And there has always been and there will always be love, joy, peace, and holiness within the Godhead and within that relationship. And the fact that we are made in the image of God, therefore, has for us both vertical implications as well as horizontal implications. It's our ability to commune with God, and then it's our ability to relate to others, including our own families. We are expected in this to rule over and care for what God has created. This speaks to our stewardship. Christopher Wright wrote in his book, The Mission of God's People, he said, when God created the earth, he created human beings in his own image with the express mission of ruling over creation by caring for it, a task modeled on the kingship of God himself. The human mission has never been rescinded. And Christians have not been given some exemption on the grounds that we have other or better things to do. The theologian uh, John Davis reflected on a human person's value as an image bearer within the context of the significance of God's creation. And he said this, God's creation is immense, but man as the crown of creation has a dignity and grandeur that surpasses all of the cosmos. So scripturally speaking, your worth is directly tied to the fact that you have been created in God's special image. And the foundational biblical teaching about the image of God grounds and projects the Christian view that each individual person possesses inherent dignity, moral worth, and eternal value. 
Now, this is very important because it relates to how we speak to and about others, how we treat others, how we interact with them, how we care for them, how we respect them. And I think this has implications for us, particularly as Christians who would desire that other people might hear about the redemptive mission of God, that we treat people even who are far off in their views, who may be completely confused about their identity and terribly confused about their direction, that we treat all people with dignity and with worth because we want them to hear that there's a God who loves them. This begins with understanding that there's a God who loves us. And he's created us in his image. And that gives us no grounds for treating anyone, regardless of how uh, vigorously we may disagree with them, with anything other than dignity, moral worth, and eternal value. The second point that I want to make is that God had a plan for your life before you were born. He created you in his image, and he had a plan for your life before you were born. Let's look at the psalm in Psalm 139 just for a moment. I want to look at verses 13 through 17. This is a passage that we often hear on a Sanctity of Life Sunday or some other discussion about the value of babies and and, uh, God's creative purposes in, in little ones and so on. But I want to apply it to the fact of how God has a plan for our lives even before we were born. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Verse 17, God, how precious your thoughts are toward me, how vast their sum is. Now, this is David, the son of Jesse, a remarkable person who was a shepherd and a soldier and a hero and a poet and a king. Uh, And he declared here that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The image of God relates to our identity The fact that God has a plan for our lives relates to the value that he places on us within that identity. And the truth is that you are known by God. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. Now, we can know one another in a general sense. We can know certain things about each other. And the closer the family relationship that we have, often the closer and more intimate the knowledge is that we have of another person. But as you know that no human being can ever fully know another human being, only God fully knows us. He knows the furthest recess of our lives. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And God had the care and concern to personally form you in your mother's womb. And God's concern for your life began even before you were conceived. You are wonderfully made. 
verse 13, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, you'll know that this phrase, you knit me together, is skillfully wrought in the Hebrew. It's the idea of something being embroidered, um, exquisitely composed of bones and muscles and sinews and veins and arteries and other parts, all framed together for the purposes of God. Your eyes saw my substance, O Lord, and being yet unformed. And what we cannot see, God sees perfectly. You say, why is this important in parenting? Well, if you're going to believe that God has a plan for your children, you need to understand that God first had a plan for you. And he is carrying out that plan in your life. And your story, in part, is the story of your children because you're investing in them. And if you're understanding the value that you have as being created in the image of God and the purpose for which God made you, then you're going to be able to direct them in the purpose that God made them for. But let me state more specifically here, your life is ordained by God. Verse 16, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God's knowledge and plan uh, extends to the past, and it reaches into the future. God has perfect knowledge about our lives in advance because he knows all things. So if we state this more practically, the Lord saw David's unborn state, and he planned the days that David would live. Now, none of us know how long uh, we're going to live uh, we hope that we're going to be blessed with a long and purposeful life for God. But the Bible reminds us in, Psalm, in, in Proverbs 27, in verse 1 rather, not to presume upon anything. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James wrote in James 4, in verse 13 and 14, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James says that we should live each day doing the Lord's will and trust the results are ultimately up to him. Now, this is important in parenting because we get caught in the trap, just as we do in our own individual lives, of thinking about uh, the next step, the next accomplishment, the next milestone, the next year, the next point of growth. And we get caught up in this constant cycle of all we're thinking about is if we can just get through this moment, then this point is going to hit and it's going to be better. We're going to accomplish what we thought we wanted to accomplish. That's good in some ways because you're being goal-oriented and you have a vision for where you're going. But you can also miss the moment. Don't miss the moment of what God has given you with your children. And one of the things that we always tried to do in raising our kids uh, was to be blessed with the particular season of life that they were in without wishing it away. So we were thankful that they were in the grade that they were in and they were involved in the activities that they were involved in and we were getting to spend time with them doing the different things that we were getting to do with them as part of God's purpose for their life. And yes, we've had and have dreams and hopes and plans for the future, 
but we didn't wish away the moment looking for something else. And if you help them to live in the moment of the opportunity that God has given to you and to them, you'll find contentment much more easily and you won't pass by those ordinary moments of life that might be a time when God is doing something more extraordinary. Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Job 14 in verse 5 says, since a person's days are determined and the number of his months depends on you, and since you have set limits, he cannot pass. Now, I'm not a fatalist about this. Uh, We can make decisions that have consequences and can affect the trajectory of our lives, both good and bad. Um, But ultimately, I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. And I believe that God knew when he brought me into this world, that he knew the day that he was going to take me out. I don't know what it is, but he knows. And I say without fail, at every funeral I have the opportunity to preach at, every person has an appointment with God. God sets the appointment, not us. We don't know what it is. God just summons us to it. As a writer of Hebrews said, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And we need to be ready for that appointment. And in the meantime, be faithful about our Father's business. I want to share this little piece with you from a devotional entitled, uh, The Father's Business. God nurtured you in the womb, and since your conception, he has watched over you. Your days were not written haphazardly. Your life is not a random thing. His thoughts of you are precious and too vast to count. He thinks of you continuously and of new ways that he can bless you just because you are his special child. He has written the script of your life. He chose every part of it. He's looking forward to reveal the chapters to the story that he's already written. God thought through all the details, your siblings, your birth order, large family or small family, city family or rural family. He foresaw your pain too. He knew that out of that brokenness, comes a larger story, just like when Jesus took the loaves and he blessed them. Then he broke them, and then he multiplied them to feed many. Because of his love, his power, and his blessing on you, he causes all the pain and negative things to be transformed into good things in his story for your life. So take courage. God has given you everything you need to be an overcomer, to have victory over the negative parts of your heritage, and to live in the beauty of all that he has placed within you. In our lives, we should pursue wisdom, goodness, and the kingdom of God because our identity is in who we are in the image of God and who he created us to be in his purpose for our lives. Now the third point, you are redeemed as a child of God. And I go to John chapter 1 and verse 12 and verse 13. You're redeemed as a child of God. And here's what John writes. But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. When we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus in faith, he gives us the right or the authority to become children of God. God gives us the legitimate claim. This is much like a birth certificate proves that we have 
a natural father or a natural mother. In the same way, by faith, we have a legitimate claim to God. And the fact that those who believe become children of God means that not everybody is children of God by natural birth. To become a child of God means that we have to experience the new birth. It means that we have to be born again by the Spirit of God, not by our will, but by God's will. And the New Testament uses the phrase child of God or children of God in multiple places. So think about it this way. Child of God is your status as a follower of Jesus. Made in the image of God. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And your status is that you are a child of God as a follower of Jesus. Now, there's some implications to this. As a child of God, you are able to relate to God as your father. 1 John 3 and verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. God understands and shows compassion on us as his children. We can call him our father. As a child of God, you are disciplined as his child. The trials and the tests that we face in this life actually prove who we belong to. It proves the fact that we are sons or daughters of God. Hebrews 12 and verse 5 and 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Now, this is going to be important, particularly later on as we go through this study, because if God is our father and we are his children, and God as a good and loving heavenly father sees fit, to discipline us, not to harm us, but to help us, then should we not as good parents also see the significance of disciplining our children, not to harm them, but to help them in a way that honors God. It also tells us that as a child of God, you're able to relate to other believers as part of a family. That's what the church is. The church is a family. And we relate to other followers of Jesus as as family members. That's why the scripture talks about older men and younger men and older women and younger women and how they're to relate to one another. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. So this dynamic that we have as Christian parents is that we are a part of a larger family, uh, a bond that we have because we are one in the spirit. And that means we're able to help and to encourage and to pray for and uh, to lift each other up as we're trying to go through this thing uh, called parenting and, and family. And as a child of God, you are to imitate and honor your Father in heaven. Be imitators of God as beloved children, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. I love the way J.I. Packer put it. He said, if we want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. 
A similar comparison here would be if you ask somebody in a conversation about their faith and you ask them who Jesus Christ is, a follower of Jesus is going to almost instantly tell you that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord. That's going to be the answer. He, he's the Son of God, and He's my Savior, and He's my Lord. That's the, uh, that's the immediate identity of who He is. Who is God? God is my Father, and He's my Father because He's redeemed me through the blood of His Son. And God is our Father who provides for His children. He helps us to grow in the likeness of Jesus. So let's bring these ideas together. You're created in the image of God. God had a plan for your life before you were born. You are redeemed as a child of God. Now let's apply this to your identity as a parent. Number one, in recognition of your identity, the best and most important thing that you can do as a parent is grow as a child of God. Number one. That's the best thing you can do for your kids, to grow as a child of God. So one of our goals should be for our children to be able to say, our parents loved God as the priority of their lives. If you set that as a main goal and point of application in your home, you're going to be well on your way to the, being headed in the right direction uh, by the power of God. My parents loved God and made it a priority of their lives. One of the blessings that uh, I get to have from time to time dealing with so many people uh, who have lost loved ones is to hear the testimonies of children, uh, either in person or speaking when their parent has passed. And one of the greatest blessings that I hear in that is when there's a, a daughter or a son who either gives a personal testimony or actually speaks on behalf of the family at the funeral. And at the core of what they have to say about their parents, yes, they tell funny stories and they tell life experiences that nobody else can necessarily connect with but them. But when those children say, my mom or my dad loved the Lord and made that a a central part of their lives, that's a blessing. And I know that that's a parent who has sought to do what God wanted them to do imperfectly, but by grace. And that ought to be a goal of ours as well. Number two, your value or your worth as a human being is not determined by your success or your challenges in parenting. God does not love you more and God does not love you less based on what you would or society would look at and say, this was a success or this was a failure. God measures in a different way. So be careful that you're not drawing your value and your worth as a child of God yourself by whatever those successes or challenges are, because then we can begin to take credit or to place blame neither of which might be appropriate depending on the circumstance. Number three, in recognition of your identity, seek to build a home that has an atmosphere of love 
as God has modeled love for you. Another goal that would be good to have as parents and and grandparents is for your children or your grandchildren to be able to say, my parent or my grandparent loves me without any kind of explanation to follow. They love me. There's an abiding love, just as God has first loved us. So we want to live in the middle of that and be loving as God has loved us. Number four, in recognition of your identity, follow the pattern of God, your father, in discipline and in correction. I already touched on this for a moment, uh, and we'll talk about it more in depth uh, in a particular session. Uh, But I want to make the point here that in your identity, as God deals with you, learn to deal with your family members in that way. And then number five, in recognition of your identity, follow the example of God who provides for our needs. Doesn't mean we're trying to spoil our kids or um, be overindulging or any of those things. We can ruin kids. Um, But it does mean that we want to properly provide for them and honor God in doing so as best God has enabled us to do that. And that looks a little bit different for every family. It looks a little bit different uh, for every child. Maybe it even depends on how children respond and how they act uh, based on how you're providing for them. You've got to figure out what the particular personality is of your child in some cases. And um, there's some give and take in that. And then number six, in recognition of your identity, follow the example of God who is the ultimate model of forgiveness. There's nothing that will sanctify you uh, more deeply (laughs) or probably more often than a marriage relationship or a parenting relationship. And as parents, we need to be able to say that when we've done something wrong or we've handled a circumstance, maybe in a way that wasn't the best way for that child, or maybe we spoke harshly or we dealt with something in a way that didn't honor God, we need to be able to find enough humility to be able to say, I'm sorry for the way I did that. Would you forgive me in it? And then when our children do wrong and they're trying to come back to where they need to be, we need to model forgiveness in that. And that means we're not dredging up something from a year or two ago when we're dealing with a situation at the moment, we're dealing with a situation at the moment, and forgive as you have first been forgiven. So let me go through these quickly once again just by way of review. Application. The best thing you can do is grow as a child of God, number one. Number two, your value or your worth is not determined by your success or your challenges in parenting. Number three, in recognition of your identity, seek to build a home that has an atmosphere of the love of God. You want your children to be able to say, my parents loved me. Number four, follow the pattern of God your father in discipline and correction. Number five, follow the example of God who provides for our needs. And number six, follow the example of God who is the ultimate model of forgiveness. God will hold us accountable for how we have stewarded the roles and the responsibilities that he has entrusted to us, including parenthood. First and foremost, however, you and I will stand before God 
as a child of God. Don't ever forget that. Yes, we have roles. We're father, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor. There's all sorts of roles and hats that I wear in my life. But the number one thing that defines my identity and the number one thing that defines your identity is that you are a child of God. And the better and more faithfully you can live by the grace of God as a child of God, then you can more effectively and faithfully parent your earthly children after the pattern that your Father in heaven is parenting you. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to wrap up our time uh, together, and then we'll have a a concluding time of question and answer uh, after we uh, close this part out. Father, thank you that we are your children. It's easy for us to draw our identity from things that are secondary. We get our worth from that, and we can get so discouraged, uh, forgetting the grace that you've given to us. And I pray, Father, that in our lives, we would grow, first and foremost, as children of God and know that we are going to stand before the throne someday as your child and you as our Father. And I pray we'd be ready for that through the redemption that we have in Christ. And I pray that we would live out the created purpose that you have for us. And Lord, that our children, our grandchildren, and our families would be blessed as a result of it. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.